now. We're getting to the part of Peter's message where he's making practical applications. And in what we're going to read this morning, slaves, domestics, bottom feeder workers have the power to change the world. You know, that sounds to me like one of those rah-rah, boom churches where every single person is a world-changing champion. Ever been to some of those churches? I have. And this isn't a cheerleading rah-rah-sis-boom-ba message, but it is the truth. Now, the power is in this, that you serve Jesus first, and then you serve your master by the will of God. And this makes everybody stop and think, wait a second, power changed the world? This is an unequal relationship because the boss has all the power and I don't have the power. So what's that? And I want to caution you and, and let you have a, a spoiler that we're going to go into the next section about husbands and wives. And also you think, well, somebody's got the power and somebody doesn't have the power. Not an equal relationship. How does that work? Well, we're used to judging our situations according to how does it please me? Do I like it? And if I don't like it, reverse it. But Peter says we leave the judgment to God and we follow the pattern, the example, the footsteps of Jesus in order to please God. Here's the new attitude. When Jesus is happy, I'm happy. And as we'll see here, serving Jesus first is going to transform your job and it has the power to transform the world. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you're beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges 
righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So look, verse 18, servants, the servants. Who are the servants? And the, the word here means those slaves that are born into a household, but they're not born into the family. They belong to a larger group of servants around a particular family. Those are the ones that do the menial jobs over and over and over. Wash the clothes, do the dishes, feed the pigs, assuming you're not a kosher household. You know, uh, do the whatever. Insert this job here. Clean the toilets. All right? That's your job. You don't have a choice. You don't have any rights. And it's a weak position. That is, you have to do as you're told. If you run away, you're going to be branded when they catch you. And if you run away again and they catch you, you're going to be killed. Now, the equivalent for us today is being an employee. You have more choices than a slave, but sometimes not that many. I think all of us know what it's like to have to work a job. If you could change your job, why, you would. But you look around, and there aren't that many jobs, and so you say, okay, I'm kind of stuck here. And basically, you're powerless. And because you're powerless, your employer can often be harsh and unreasonable. Because your employer has all the cards. Sometimes less, sometimes more, but your boss can be demanding, unreasonable, grasping, unfair. They decide they don't like you, and so you're in their power. They can treat you crummy. Life is unpleasant. There's a name for that. It's called being a wage slave. And my dictionary tells me they coined that in 1882. That's how long people have been thinking about being a wage slave. And I think we have some wage slaves with us here this morning. I have done that. Now, I'm not a wage slave anymore. I'm just a slave. So I went down a step. But I'm with you. Now, look what Peter commands here. The impossible, the incredible, the I can't believe he's saying this. Honor your masters and submit to them. Now, you know, this continues what he's been exhorting us 
to live as the people of God. Don't let fleshly lusts wage war against your soul. Hold yourself back. Live right among unbelievers. Obey rulers. Silence the ignorance of foolish men. This is what you're supposed to do. Do what is good and right and beautiful and loving, and don't let anybody say anything bad about you. And, and yet, you're in this powerless situation. You're bound to serve. You don't have a choice. Most of Peter's readers would be in this situation. And most Christians are in this situation. We're in situations where we don't have the power. We sort of have to take what we get. And Peter says, submit to your master, whether good and nice and considerate, or harsh, unreasonable, crooked, and perverse. But you are to respect your master as worthy of respect, even if he's not worthy of respect. And the real significance to this is that you have a new master whom you serve. And Peter's already referred to this. In verse 16, he says, as free using liberty not as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. When you received Jesus, you became a slave of God. And this is not mystic theology. This is a reality because Jesus bought you out of your situation with his own blood. And you're his now. And your clothes are his. And everything you own is his. And you are his. This is real. Now you're free from slavery to sin. And sin it is doing what I want. Me, making me happy. I live for me. I take the opportunities I want for me. Life is about me. But that's not what we're about now. Now I am God's slave. And my first priority is, what does God want? And anything he wants, he gets. Because I'm his. I don't belong to myself anymore. This is not my money, my time, my anything. You know, what I am basically is a steward of somebody else's property. That's the job we have. That's what being a slave is. Now our master says, here's your body, here's your clothing, here's your time, your money. You are the steward of it now for me. Use this for me. And this applies to every Christian in every time, in every place. You know, we call him Lord. And that really means Lord, boss, sir, master. And if he's not Lord, then he's not Savior. He doesn't come in part package. 
And he's not waiting for us to elect him. He already is. He is the boss. And so he's your boss. And those who disobey Jesus are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. If you are disobeying Jesus, you should be in terror of your soul. Everybody gets that, right? Okay, so look at this command. Respect your earthly master, whether he deserves it or not, because you are obeying your first master, Jesus. So you respect your boss. This is going to make God happy. This pleases him because it's like being God himself. This is what God does. He's consistent the way he loves everybody, whether they deserve it or not. Who deserves the love of God, by the way? Uh, nobody. But he loves us anyway. He loves us even though we don't deserve it. Now here's what he says in Matthew 5. Jesus said this. You've heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Don't even tax collectors do the same? If you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Don't the tax collectors do this? Tax collectors are not nice people. They're the scum of the earth. But even tax collectors can be nice to other tax collectors because they're the only guys that they can hang with. But they can be nice to one another. Now, that's tax collectors back then. We love everybody at HMRC, okay? Because Jesus told us to. There's the punchline. But he says, Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, if your master is good and gentle, you respect him, but that's no miracle, is it? Anybody could do that. You have a good master, boy, you want him to stay alive. <laughs> You're an endangered species, sir. Thank you for treating me nicely. How's your family? You know, but Peter means especially an unreasonable master. He's harsh. He's arbitrary. He's twisted. I'm describing your boss, aren't I? Now, before Jesus came into your life, you would have hated your master. You would only do what you needed to do and no more than that, which means what the Bible calls eye service. Look good when the master's looking, but when he's not looking, this is the kind of cook 
that spits in the soup when the master isn't looking. All right? So he's got the power, but I've got the spit. And you don't have any recourse, you don't have any power, and you're stuck. But now you do not please yourself. Your job is to please Jesus. That is the uppermost concern you have. You work for him first. Jesus has you working for this harsh, unreasonable person. And you obey Jesus first. So you don't badmouth your master behind your back. You do a full day's work, even when he's not looking, because your master in heaven is looking. You are dependable and faithful. You don't steal from the company because your wages are so low, you figure they owe you this. So you're just going to take a little bit from the company and even things up, says I. And God says, no, you shall not steal. And in fact, you pray for your boss. You ask God to bless him. You ask God to forgive him. You ask God to love him. Now, doing good and suffering for it finds favor with God. And what this means is God sees you. He understands what kind of a situation you're in. Now, the devil wants to lie to you and say, if there's a God in heaven, he, he does not know your name. He doesn't care about you. Look what he's allowed you to do, to work for that person. You think if there's a God in heaven, he'd give you this crummy job? He'd let you be a wage slave? Doesn't sound like my idea of a nice God. So... The devil wants to slander God. But you know, God is a great amount of help. And especially on your job, in your situation that you're in right now. Because you can't do good and suffer for it without God. This is not a human attitude. And you can't do this what Jesus is commanding without him. You need his spirit. And this is what forces you to press in and say, you know what, I am not this nice. And I don't like my boss. And I think this situation stinks. So if I'm to obey your command, I'm in real trouble. I can't do this. Please help me. And then... He will enable you to pray for those who mistreat you. You endure by the power of the risen Lord Jesus. And see, you become dependent upon God. And this dependence pleases him. It really pleases him when we're depending upon him. Because what it does is, it makes his power visible. Visible. 
How does that guy keep doing it? How does he keep his attitude straight? Why isn't he cursing God and dying like everybody else? His power is being made perfect in weakness. Now, we're to be servants of God first because that is what it means to be like Christ. Jesus suffered as a servant under his master. You know, Peter here quotes Isaiah 53 three times. And Isaiah 53 is the chapter about the suffering servant of the Lord, which was really difficult for the Jews to understand because they could see two kinds of servants in the scriptures, and one of them's a suffering servant, but the other one is victorious over all the nations. We like this guy. Suffering servant? Hmm, don't understand that one. Well, let's not worry about that. Let's worry about the guy who comes in on a white horse and whips the Romans and puts Israel at the head of the nations. And I like that. I like it a lot. Suffering servant? I don't understand suffering in the first place, so why try to figure that out? But this is crucial because that servant is one person. And the order is suffering and humility first, glory and ruling after that. And so, Peter is now focusing on the suffering that comes first. Now, first of all, Jesus left us an example. He is the servant of the Lord first. And everything he does, he does for God as a servant. He's about completely fulfilling the will of the Father. In the scripture I read earlier, remember Jesus said the Son can do nothing of himself, but only what the Father shows him. That expresses absolute submission to the will of God. I'm not here to do my own thing, but only what the Father shows me. So this servant is going to please God fully in every respect. So that the Father says, in whom I am well pleased. Well pleased. And he's the perfect sin, verse 22, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Remember, Jesus is all about not my will, but yours be done. This is the perfect servant. No, hey, I don't want to do this. I don't do this on Thursdays. This is my time. Go get somebody else. It doesn't matter if he's going to say, come on, guys, let's go 
by ourselves away. We're going to have a break. And when they get to the place where they're going to have a break, after finally, after so long, there's the multitude there, ready to go. Heal us, teach us. And Jesus says, okay, I'll heal you. I'll teach you. And all the disciples go, I can't believe this. This guy is an outreach maniac. We don't get a day off ever. But Jesus is not there on his own. He is the servant of the Father. Now, here's God's pleasure. This is what God wanted. The chief mission of the suffering servant is to have his servant suffer for all men. All the wrath of God was going to fall on his suffering servant. And this is the greatest suffering of all. Who committed no sin, no deceit in his mouth? He didn't do anything wrong. And yet God is going to pour out his wrath against all deception and sin on that suffering servant who did nothing wrong. That's your job? That's harsh. That's like working for the harshest, most twisted, crooked master. You didn't do anything wrong. And you get all the wrath for it. And that's your job. Now, he was to be rejected by all men, reviled. Verse 23, he was reviled. For what? He didn't do anything wrong. And yet he was reviled. That means they said bad things about him, criticized him. You guys don't obey the Sabbath. You don't eat with washed hands. You heal on the Sabbath. What's your big problem? Oh, he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. He's from the pit of hell. He's being reviled. And in Isaiah 53, it says, all those rebukes that were directed toward you fell on me. So his job description is, you have to take all the hostility that people give towards God upon yourself. And then he's criticized and reviled because he doesn't respect the authority of the religious leaders. There's the biggest sin right there as far as they're concerned. Who does he think he is? By what authority do you do these things? By what name do you do these miracles? And these are the same guys who are rejoicing as he's dying. Well, he saved others, but he can't save himself. Hey, why don't you come down off the cross and we'll believe you? Tui. Reviled. And... When he suffered, he did not threaten. Can you imagine if anybody could respond to that? It would be Jesus. 
You know, Jesus is the most dangerous person who has ever lived. And you cannot trifle and play with Jesus and live. It says in Psalm 2, Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. But you know what Jesus did do? He continually entrusted himself to him who judges righteously. In other words, Jesus didn't judge for himself. He didn't say, my situation stinks right now. And he didn't curse God for what a crummy job that he had. But instead, he says, into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. You judge. You make this come out the way you want. You judge. And his whole focus was to do the will of the one who sent him and to finish that work. Now, that work is to serve you and me and every person who's ever lived. Exactly the same way he got down and washed his disciples' feet. He's washed all of our feet and served us. And he depended on the Father to judge his case. You know, he wasn't looking to be vindicated in this life. He didn't expect somebody to turn around and say, you know what, we really have misjudged you. You're not such a bad guy after all. Like, you've done okay. We really approve of you. He looked to have the Father vindicate him and to put everything right. And you know, the Father is the Supreme Court. And he reviewed Jesus' case. And he overturned the decision from the lower court. And he reversed the decision. He says, well, they condemned him to death, but we're going to reverse that, so now we're going to raise him from the dead. And the Supreme Court can do stuff like that. Now, Peter says in verse 21, for to this you were called. This is the purpose of God for your life right now. You are to follow in Jesus' footsteps. And the word there that's used actually means to write after a sample text that's been laid out, like for kids who are learning to write. And the teacher would draw out the letters and say, okay, now you do it. So you know the kid grabs by the wrong. Good. Ah, well done. Let's try the next one. That's not so good. Let's try it again. Jesus wrote it all out for us. And so now we're to follow him. We're to copy his moves. We're to walk in his footsteps. So 
we are to submit ourselves to the Father. And we're not going to sin. We're not going to deceive. We're going to entrust ourselves to the one who judges righteously. He's going to take care of things. And this is a big change, right? This is huge. This is not the way everybody else works. Everybody else is straying like sheep, like he talks about in verse 25. We were making our own decisions. We judge this by our own understanding. And we say, this is a harsh, unreasonable master, and inside my mind, I'm checking out. But we've returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. And you know, he's really alluding to Psalm 23 here. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And specifically, he's the one who leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. As if he had us by the hand, and he says, walk with me. I'll show you the right way to go. So here's how it works out. The Lord is my line manager. The Lord is my supervisor. The Lord is my boss. And that means I am his slave. And wherever you're working right now, just realize you work for him. And then he has you working wherever you are right now, believe it or not. Now, this is huge when you think about pleasing God on your job. And what it does is it transforms your job, changes it completely. Here's what Paul says in Colossians 3, verse 22. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there's no partiality. Now, your boss pays you a wage. You are a wage slave, but you're going to receive the real pay from Jesus, which is eternal. That's why you want to do a good job. He's really your boss. He's really going to pay you. So you go, okay. And you work for Jesus first. You're going to do a better job. You just will. Why? Because you want to make him happy. Not because you're afraid of your boss. And then your work becomes worship. Jesus comes to work with you. He pays your wages. You offer up your work as worship. Jesus is there on the job with you. In that environment of hell. Airless. Dark. Right there in hell. Oh my gosh. Jesus is right there with me. Now you know... 
Real life is hell. And work is hell. Everybody gets that, right? I get it too. People are lost sinners. They are the worst people on earth. And you get to work with them. Not a lot of rejoicing going on just now this second. But you know, because you're there and Jesus is with you, it transforms the situation. It brings light into a dark place. It brings love into a dog-eat-dog situation. It brings patience. And it makes a difference that cannot be missed. I mean, you are the city on a hill. You could not be hidden. It's not possible. And you are a witness to Jesus on the job that hell is not all there is. There is a heaven, and you come from there. And you are not employed in hell. You are employed in heaven. And your fragrance of Christ is pungent with glory and light, and people can smell it. They're going to react to that, that light and that aroma. Because <laughs> aromas always make people react. They either go, wow, what is that? Or else they go, Pah! Now, some people have never smelled heaven before, and they're going to go, wow, what is that? And some people know that aroma, and they will vilify you and slander you and treat you badly and be unfair to you because they've got the power. Christians die easily. Everybody knows this. So see, what you do now is you persevere in doing right even though it's a harsh situation. And this is a witness that makes Christ visible. And people watch and they know that there is a God. And I've seen Jesus do this on my jobs. As I look back on jobs that I've had, I have had some good guys and some harsh and unreasonable masters. And I have seen Jesus block for me and look out for me on the job. And I have even seen Jesus affect people to the point where they receive Jesus. Not very many people. I got to say that. The entire company did not get down on their knees and ask, Sir, what must I do to be saved? But you know what? Some people got it. Really got it. And I could only stand back and go, Wow. Me. But see, it wasn't me, it was Jesus. 
You know, I used to work at a job where a large part of the employees were all gay. And when they found out I was a Christian, man, I was like the cat's play toy. Because it's cheap and it's fun. Look what he does. See? But my secret weapon is as I met them, I wrote them down in my book and I prayed for them. And they could not stop me from praying for them. And I got to share Jesus with every single one of them, even the owner of the company. Some of them were really good witnesses, and some of them were crashes and burns. I did not always do a tremendous job. But when I left that job, all the gay people understood that I did not hate them, and in fact, I loved them. Every single one of them. I even got a hug from April. April was the one with a shark tattooed on her bicep, which was enormous. And she had this spiky hair like this. And April was like, but come here, April. We got a hug. See that? And somewhere in their life, they got this message, you know, God does not hate them. And that's maybe kind of new. Because it's true. God does not hate homosexual people. He doesn't hate trans, lesbian, plus, Q. In fact, he loves them. And that's the witness. Now, where in the world are they going to get that witness ever? When? This is what God wants. Has nothing to do with getting a wage, getting a fair job, getting any of that junk. That's not even the issue. The issue is serving Him first. And it means we become more than a wage slave. That's not the issue. We have purpose. We are working for God and we are on mission. Your job is a mission. And the mission is Jesus is looking for lost sheep. He's a shepherd. He's an overseer. They're lost. We work with them. And here's Jesus' command. Serve me first. Does everybody hear him? Okay, let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you do send your Son. You make it rise on the wicked and on the just. You send rain on the wicked and the just, and you love your enemies. You love the people that we work with. You love our bosses. 
while we were yet sinners, you loved us and sent your Son. And your Son has served each one of us. He has washed our feet. He has washed our hearts. Thank you so much. And now please, be on the job with us. We want to pray for our co-workers right now. That you would bless them and open up their eyes and their ears and their hearts. Open up their noses and help them to smell that aroma of Christ. And we pray that it would be an aroma of life to life. Help us not to fear the ones who smell that aroma and see that's death. Help us with harsh, unreasonable, perverse masters. And glorify Jesus in our lives. Please transform those places where we work. You rule there. And for those of us who don't have jobs today that need them, please lead us and guide us and provide. We commit our lives into your hands. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.